Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 206. We got a double portion with a mother-daughter combo. It's Lisa and Elizabeth McLeod talking about leading yourself, taking the reins of your own job, role, career stuff, and making good things happen there. So you're going to learn, one, key questions to ask yourself for better self-assessments, two, a mindset that will make you enjoy your job more, and three, why to view your peers as colleagues instead of competitors. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep206. That's the letters EP and the number 206. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our nifty resources. One of my faves I'll point you to right here, it's the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course. And so that contains some bite-sized excerpts and nuggets from my enhanced thinking and collaboration training programs, which have been super cool to have shown a reduction of about 86 minutes of waste per person per week, just cut out of there, appearing on the before and after training evaluation. So I've taken the most nugget size applicable pieces I could put in a little email course, send them one a day for 10 days. So that's kind of handy. So now here is Lisa and Elizabeth's story. Lisa McLeod is a keynote speaker, author, and consultant who espouses the noble purpose approach to business and sales. She's served clients ranging from Apple to Peterbilt Trucks. She's the author of four books on leadership, sales, and personal development, and is also the sales leadership expert for Forbes.com and has appeared on NBC Nightly News, The Today Show, Oprah.com, and Good Morning America. Elizabeth McLeod is the vice president of client services at McLeod & Moore, Inc., and Elizabeth manages projects for clients such as Google and Hootsuite. Here are Lisa and Elizabeth. Lisa and Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. Oh, well, this is fun. You know, we only had a couple episodes with two folks on the other end. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Us too. Excellent. I'm excited. Well, so now, so you work together. Mother and daughter? We do. In the business. Can you orient us to that a little bit? Uh, How is that wonderful versus aggravating? (laughs) 99% wonderful, I would say. Oh, good. Well, that's nice for for me to hear. Um, As the mom, Elizabeth came to work uh, with me uh, right at two years ago. She had been out of college and had a job. And um, I'd had my consulting firm for about 20 years and she'd done some part-time work for me off and on, but I hired her because I knew if I didn't get her when I got her, that she was going to get hired away by Google or somebody and I'd never get her. So (laughs) I made my offer while it was good. And it probably gets expensive. (laughs) Yeah. The, The longer you wait. That's right. Well, cool. So I first bumped into you from your Linda course called Leading Yourself, which sucked me in a bit. So could you orient us? What's the course all about? Yeah. Leading Yourself is all about taking charge of your own development and setting your own goals, setting your own milestones, evaluating yourself as tough as that may be, and really taking charge no matter who your boss is or where you are in your career. Okay. Well, that's a nice summary. And so tell me, you know, what would be the alternative or the contrast, you know, as opposed to what do other people do? 
Well, you know, one of the challenges, the reason we wanted to write this course, it was actually Elizabeth's idea because she said so many of her friends were in situations where their managers had, you know, 10 or 15 people and, or their manager had three other jobs. And so one of the things that she was seeing was that a lot of these young people, and it can happen at any age, but particularly with young people, where a lot of them have been, and I was guilty of this myself, kind of overparented, where they've had everything <laughs> under the sun, they've had professors organized around them. And what happens when you get into a job, all the time along when you're in school, you are organized, school is organized around making you successful. Everything is served up for you. But when you get into a job, all of a sudden, the whole thing flips. You're there to make some larger entity successful. And a lot of people have a hard time adjusting to that. And so we wanted to do a course to help people step into that in a really successful, powerful way. Understood. Well, that sounds excellent. And I'm chuckling. I'm thinking about overparented. I've heard some stories of managers receiving phone calls from employees' parents. (laughs) It's like, what? What is going on here? <laughs> There's bring your yeah. parents to work day in, in some places now. Oh, intriguing. Well, I mean, on the good side, you do have people that are much closer to their parents than they used to be. And they're not just dependent on their 24-year-old friends for advice. On the other hand, one of the things I see, because we work with a lot of companies that have a huge number of millennials and young end millennials, and one of the things I see is a lot of these kids have been so overparented that it's almost to their detriment. Okay, noted. So could you give us a couple examples then of, you know, someone who does not lead themselves? You know, what are a couple common mistakes like, oh, don't do that? I think the the biggest mistake we see in people who don't lead themselves is relying solely on your boss. And when someone is not getting that one-on-one attention or not getting that learning and development, they tend to just sit back and wait for it. And leading yourself kind of flips that and makes it your own power to do those things. Okay. So we had one person in a company that we worked with that that shall remain nameless. And we were in there and we were doing some consulting. And as part of the thing, we were doing a small training program. And one of the people said, you know, my boss just doesn't spend the time training me. And this was, you know, a 28-year-old person who'd been out of the, you know, school for a while. And it was just stunning to me because I thought your boss doesn't spend time training you. What are you doing? You know, what why is this all dependent on your boss? And so one of the things that we see in really successful people is they don't wait around for the boss to train them. They go find a peer, they find someone more senior in the company, they take a LinkedIn learning course, they go do things on their own because they're not waiting for someone else to develop them. They know that that's their responsibility. And that's a really good example of leading yourself. And what boss wouldn't love someone that's going out and soliciting their own training? Mm-hmm. Okay, so understood. So it's all about not waiting for the boss or anyone else to make opportunities or learning or training development stuff happen for you. Any other kind of you know key touch points to kind of cement the mindset between what leading yourself looks like and it should be happening versus not leading yourself? I think one of the most challenging aspects of leading yourself, and we touch on it in that lynda.com course, is giving yourself an honest performance review. 
and learning to look really holistically at your career and be honest with yourself about where you need to build up on your weaknesses and where you can build on your strengths and leading yourself puts a lens on that that is different than the typical performance review given to you by your boss. Oh, certainly. And performance reviews, it's interesting. You know, sometimes those delivered by leadership are very insightful and informative. When I was consulting at Bain & Company, I was blown away by the depth and Mm -hmm. specificity and quality of the reviews. But others, it's practically meaningless. As I hear horror stories, it's wild. Right. Check the box, make the donuts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And most of the time, they fall more on the side of, if not meaningless, a lot of times, you know, coming like Bain, I used to work for Procter & Gamble, companies like that are notorious for really developing their people. So they're giving very forward-thinking performance reviews. Unfortunately, in a lot of organizations, they're doing a couple of things. One, they're just rating you on the task at hand. Like, did you make enough widgets? You know, did you meet your deadlines? And those things are important, but they're not looking at you as your development as a future leader or, you know, achiever. The other thing that a lot of companies do is because so often the performance review is tied to compensation is they're trying to justify the raise that they gave you or didn't give you. Mm -hmm. And so people go into these really defensive. And so one of the things that we taught in that um, Linda, Linda course, which is now, you know, part of LinkedIn learning, one of the things we taught about giving yourself an honest performance review was really around getting rid of the defensive because it's only you doing it and really thinking to yourself, am I someone who thinks strategically? Am I someone who would I make me a vice president and why? You know, really looking at not just am I punching the clock and getting my stuff done to keep my boss off my back, but am I looking at the business holistically? Do I understand how all the departments work together? A good boss will do that. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that. So you need to be able to do that for yourself. I really love that question. Would I make myself a vice president? Why or why not? Because with these self-assessments, I think it could be easy to do sort of a cursory job of it. Like, oh, I'm doing all right. So Mm -hmm. do you have any more sort of hard-hitting prompts to make that self-evaluation all the more fruitful? One thing that is really important that we see in organizations is do you understand how money flows through your company and do you understand the landscape of your business? I was on an airplane um, about a year ago and I was with this very smart young woman. She was telling me she's on a business trip and she worked in finance for her company and they sold some kind of software. And I said, oh, well, what does the software do? And she hemmed and hawed around and couldn't describe it. And she goes, well, it's really complicated. And Mm. I felt myself having this really visceral response (laughs) because I'm thinking, you you work there. You should know this. Uh And then I went on to ask her more questions. And I was saying, so what kind of market do you, you know, what's your, what kind of customers do you sell to? What's your market? What's your market share? You know, what's, what's the economic, you know, landscape of your business right now? And she didn't know the answers. And then later in the plane ride, she told me, I'm really hoping to get a promotion next year. And and I remember thinking, I wouldn't promote you. You're nice. You're personable. You probably do a good job. But if you don't understand the economic landscape of your business and you don't know how money flows through your organization, 
what the customer base is, what the market share is, what the growth plan is, then you're you're never going to be on track to be any kind of leadership position. Everyone in every company should know that, but particularly if you want to move up and you want to be thought of as a leader, you've got to know those kinds of things. And a lot of times if you're in some siloed job, bosses don't share that information with you, not because they're trying to withhold it. Half the time they don't know. But also, it's just because it doesn't seem pertinent to your job, Mm -hmm. but it is pertinent to your development. That's perfect. Thank you. Another thing we we touch on a little bit in leading yourself and we dive even more into in learning to be promotable, which is a course we have coming out later this year, is this preemptive look and asking yourself, pretend you didn't get the promotion or the job. Why is that? And backtracking from this imagined future state can really help you unpack yourself and your development and your weaknesses, as opposed to trying to look forward and thinking, what is it going to take to get to that next step? So it's an exercise we use a lot with our clients and on an individual coaching basis as well. Oh, I really dig that. So these are some great perspectives for the long view and where you're going and taking mm-hmm. those steps upward. Can you share with us, you know, when it comes to leading yourself in the day in, the day out, within the muck, you know, if you're just not feeling it, <laughs> oh, yeah. having one of those days or weeks or months, the motivation is low. What are your pro tips for this kind of situation? So one thing that people often tell us is how frustrated they are with their boss's moods. And the mood of the department often waxes and wanes with the department, with the boss's mood. And I remember something my father told me when I first became a manager He said, congratulations, you've just become the second most important person in your employees' lives. And I thought, what is he talking about? And he said, well, next to your spouse, Mm -hmm. your boss has the power to make your life wonderful or miserable. And I was like 25 years old. I'm like, please take back the briefcase. I don't want to. But, But the reason I bring that up is in terms of managing yourself on a day-to-day basis, one of the things that you have to be able to manage is your own mood and your own sense of equilibrium. And so one of the things that we know about the human mind is when you're just going through the motions and you're doing a task, you're not using the most powerful parts of your brain. I mean, even if you're doing a a fairly difficult task. But what we know is if you think about who your work affects directly, who you're making a difference to. So if you're, you know, working on software, if you have a really clear-eyed view of who the users are going to be and how this is going to help them, if you're working on a marketing campaign and you have a clear-eyed view of who the ultimate buyer will be and how your product will help them, if you can keep that in the fore of your brain, you will actually ignite more frontal lobe activity in your brain because it's going to ignite more emotions. You will enjoy your job more and you will perform better. Oh, you know, that is so powerful. And I resonate with that, you know, with the podcast here. So, you know, we got over 200 episodes complete and out, which is awesome and and a joy and a thrill. And I love hearing from listeners and we're just even looking at the download stats. I get a kick out of it. Like I'll refresh it on like a Friday at 8 p.m. And I'll see like, 
you know, seven more people within the last minute have downloaded. It's like people are want to listen to this on their Friday night, <laughs> which is awesome. I've been there before, you know, because it's like I'd like to learn something and have some fun doing it and try to chill a little bit and not, you know, party, party, party for the whole weekend. And so I think that's just so cool that, yes, there are real people, but I also fall into, you know, the reverse of, oh, Oh, got to get this out. Got to hurry up. Got to hurry up and, uh, and put this done. So done, yeah. that's a good reminder. Thank you. Yeah. And I think the thing that we see in leading yourself is, you know, people turn to outside sources for fulfillment and motivation. And this is true in any situation, particularly a work situation, is you have to find ways to rally yourself. So one of them is picturing who your work benefits in a really clear emotional way. The other is if you're very far removed, See if you can get out with users or customers or whoever it is at the end of the food chain in your business, get out with those people at some point so that you can have that visual imprint. And the other thing, we have one client and they're really public about this that we started doing something with. We worked with a group of customer service reps at a company called G Adventures, which is this really cool adventure travel company in Toronto. And so the company's super cool. They sell adventure travel. The product is cool, but yet People have to sit in offices for eight hours a day on the phone, booking trips for other people and or dealing with problems. So it's really kind of easy to lose your mojo. And so one of the things that we did with their inside sales team was we created this whole theme around music and around them being rock stars. And they have the ability to do silent dance parties because you can't blast music out because everybody else is on the phone. But if you want to, you can push a button your song comes up on the playlist and you can sit there and dance while you've got your headphones on and the other people in your unit can sit there and dance with you. And so it combines music and movement, which if you're looking to reset yourself during a hard day, that is a really effective technique you can use every single day, two, three times a day. Oh, this is good. This reminds me of a young Pete Mikaitis reading Tony Robbins. <laughs> your state, your state. But yeah, it totally works. And so what you said about that story that really struck me was the word can, because I'm thinking, well, you know, hey, we're all human beings. We all have free will. We can do that anytime. But the social norms in most organizations would be like, what are you doing that this is abnormally and not cool? So then you just sort of liberated the permission there. Yeah, say, I was listening to this class. <laughs> I listened to a podcast. And they dance. These people are business experts. Uh, a company actually they said it was them. fine. Yeah. A company paid for them for this advice to do a dance break. We have had to sell, we've done it with several other companies. With G Ventures, they're kind of crazy. So they were all for it. We have had to sell other companies on that and show them the hard science behind what music does to your brain and what movement does to your brain to say, If you're looking at your people and they are glassy-eyed at two in the afternoon, you literally need a dance break. Like we're telling you. And telling that to a lot of accountants is very different than telling that to a group of people who chose to go into adventure travel. Yeah, (laughs) understood. Understood. One of my first paid speaking engagements was to a group of CPAs and I got some feedback to be less flippant. (laughs) I was like, wait, I think I know what that word means. That's not good. And so you're right. Know your audience and adapt. But you said hard science and I'll take it. If you have any, you know, studies or data or numbers or evidence, I eat that stuff up. Is there like a mind blowing piece of research that comes to mind with this? 
there's a lot of cumulative research around what music does to the brain. And if you look at some of the people that were early on with this, well, obviously musicians, but people that worked with disabled kids have seen what it does. And it does the exact same thing to everybody else. Now, it's different music. I have a personal theory that has yet to be scientifically proven, which is if you play the music that you played in your car in high school and you blare it, you will feel more energy. That has not been scientifically Hmm. proven, but that's my theory. And I have tested it on several people and they say it works. Yeah, I find it also loosens me up because I was such a, I was such a goofball <laughs> in, in high school and I kind of am too, but I've also been told that I've quote really mellowed out over the years. And sometimes I miss just the ridiculousness of a young Pete. Yeah. And it's refreshing. It's rejuvenating to step back into there. It is, but without all the anxiety and hopefully without acting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Can you now talk to us a little bit about peers? I thought you had a really great point in the course when it comes to thinking about peers as competitors or not, and what is an optimal way to think about that? I love that point too, because I think so often high achieving people, and I'm sure your viewers are listening to this podcast, are after that promotion and are wanting a senior role. And it's easy to view your peers as competition, but when you look at them, as someone who can help you or someone who will give you good ideas, it really changes the dynamic on your team and your whole team becomes more successful because of it. And if you can implement that as an individual, you will emerge the leader at the end of the day. And we talk a lot about it in the course on how to rally people behind an idea on how to lead without formal authority. And all of these little strategies, like bringing the customer's point of view up at a meeting can really elevate the entire team, but you the most. Now, Elizabeth, for the competitive at heart, you know, can you make the case that in fact, you will come out ahead by being, you know, cooperative, collaboratively sharing? So what are the mechanisms by which that unfolds? It's that book, Give and Take. Have you read that book? Oh, I have browsed it and I want Adam Grant on the show. The givers come out. It will come. (laughs) They always do. And the research proves that time and time again, those who are cooperative and friendly to people on their team eventually emerge the leader. And one thing we say in leading yourself is if you stab all of your team in the back on your way to the top, you're not going to have a very good team that you're eventually leading. Understood. So best, well, there's best to make nice. A couple of one really famous quote on this that I love, which is who whoever can articulate reality without blame or judgment will always emerge the leader. That's really important. Mm, That's strong. You want to be able to articulate reality without blame or judgment. And, you know, with regards to competition, I'll tell you, this was one lesson that I wish I had learned much earlier in my career. When I was at Procter & Gamble as a young salesperson and a sales manager, it was very competitive. You know, we're going to hire 10 sales reps, two of you are getting promoted. But here's the thing that I missed. And I developed some friendships there, but I wish I had developed more. But I didn't because I viewed those people as my competition. What I didn't know is that 25 years later, we would all be running different organizations. And if I had developed better relationships with more of those people, I would have friends that are the CMO of some company or the VP of sales of another company. As it was, I just had a small group of friends. And it was because I took this competitive attitude. Now, I wasn't alone. We all did. 
But I have seen 25 years later, the people who really befriended all their peers, they did just as well as we did in the long run. But now they know all these other senior leaders. And so that was the mistake I made. I didn't understand that at the time. Oh, that's good. Oh, it's good. Thank you. All right. So I'm convinced that's good. And I want to think a little bit about when it comes to making that progress toward goals. So when it comes to goal setting and goal realizing, you know, it starts with a good self-assessment and getting real and honest with yourself. And it continues, you know, with a solid mindset and a collaboration with folks and managing your emotions well. So, so how should we think about the nuts and bolts of doing that goal setting and moving toward it optimally? One of the things we talk about in the course is SMART goals and why they don't necessarily work because they're not inspiring to people a lot of the time. So when we look at goal setting, you start with your self-assessment and then you go to goals that inspire you and they don't always necessarily relate to your role. So your goal might be to improve your leadership ability or improve your communication And those goals are a little bit more abstract and they're not always as, quote, smart, but they can be much more inspiring and generate much long-term results. So when we talk about goal setting in the course, one of the huge points is to pick something you actually want to do. All right. Yeah, because so much of your work is assigned to you. And, you know, a lot of things are accomplished by SMART goals, specific, measurable, achievable, you know, time-bound. We know the whole thing, realistic, time-bound. But the challenge is so many of your goals are set by others. They tend to be, as Elizabeth said, very uninspiring, and they're also very short-termish. And so if you're going to set goals for yourself, maybe you have that great manager who sits down with you and says, you know, I want to improve, your goal is to improve your financial acumen so that you can accurately describe all areas of the business and understand the P&L. Okay, maybe you've got a great manager like that, but maybe not. Maybe that's inspiring to you or maybe it's boring as hell to you. I mean, you've got to pick some goals for yourself that aren't just get the next promotion and that also aren't just finish the report by Sunday. You know, you look at some of the things like Kennedy saying, we're going to put a man on the moon at the end of the next decade. I remember the clip, he kind of said it kind of funny. Mm -hmm. And he did put a time on it, but he didn't know how it was going to be done. You look at Steve Jobs saying things like, I'm going to put a dent in the universe. It's okay. One of the things we really want to communicate to people, when you're leading yourself, it's okay to start that vague and to start that big. Now, putting a man on the moon was specific, putting a dent in the universe kind of vague but it's okay to start there. That might not be what you talk about on a day-to-day basis with your boss, but if you were leading yourself and you're feeling like something is bubbling up in you, don't short circuit that process by thinking you have to get it time-bound and realistic. It's okay to think those things. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. And so I want to hit a final point here. You mentioned a number of times about you may not have a great boss. You may not have a caring, invested boss looking out for your development a few times. So what are your pro tips when it comes to managing up or you know working with and managing our boss? One of the things we touch on in the course is that even if you do have a great boss, and like Lisa said, even if you have a boss that's really focused on you and your learning and development, you can benefit from leading yourself. And when you lead yourself, you make more goals, you set stricter timelines for yourself, you have a better sense of self. And all of those things you can bring to your boss 
takes work off their plate. So the more they're focused on your actual goals instead of helping you figure out where your weaknesses are. So in terms of managing up, I think taking everything you're doing while you're leading yourself and bringing it to your boss and being really clear about how they can support you is where people will find the most success. All right. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. One of the things my father, just by the second time I mentioned in this interview, one of the things my father said to me is no matter what your job, part of your job is making your boss successful. And kind of back to that school dynamic versus a work dynamic in school, it's organized to make you successful at work. One of the best ways you can manage up, whether you have a great boss or a poor boss, and Elizabeth had a past experience with a great boss who talked about leading himself. And that's actually where we got the idea for this course. But one of the things that she did well with that boss was she really thought about what are the boss's projects, what are the boss's priorities, what are the boss's boss care about, and how can I help with that? And it can be something as simple as saying, hey, I know you got that big presentation Monday. You want anyone to run it by? You know, anything like that. It's not being a suck up. It's doing your job because your job is to make your boss successful, which makes the organization successful. And that's one thing a lot of people don't miss that a lot of people miss is they kind of suck up to the boss, but they don't do actual things that will make the boss more successful. And there's a difference between those two. Understood. And so now I'm curious to tie a couple points together. So, you know, doing that requires an extra dose of energy, of effort and time. Mm -hmm. And often we just feel so overwhelmed, like, oh, I've already have enough on my plate and uh, this is overwhelming and too much. So I guess when it comes to leading yourself and doing the emotional management game, any pro tips for navigating those waters like, oh, I should be more proactive, but I really feel overwhelmed and don't feel like it right now. Yeah. One tip is use your FaceTime with your boss really well. You don't need to add more time with your boss. In fact, you should probably, you might even be able to contract the time with your boss, but be really planful and smart when you talk to your boss. And you want to do three things when you talk to your boss. One, you want to make sure you know what your boss's top priorities. Two, you want to give your boss an update on the things you're working on, not an endless, endless list. And three, you need to talk with your boss about anything that may be coming up that you can, that's a problem coming up or anything in the future so that you're already aware of it. And, you know, a lot of people, when they go into their boss, they let the boss manage the conversation, which is okay because they may want to, but you need to make sure you're doing those three things. And, you know, it can, the day-to-day can feel really overwhelming and a lot of times it's, there's no easy, quick solution. Oh, just take five things off your list. Oh, just hire an assistant. Oh, just stop doing all that stuff you don't like. You know, there's no easy solution. But if you're really trying to lead yourself, you always need to be asking yourself is what I'm doing of the most benefit? Is this my highest good for my organization right now? Is this what the organization really wants me working on? If you're leading yourself, you need to think of, Look at yourself like the CEO would look at you. Okay, very good. Thank you. Well, now, can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? That's a a large pool to choose from. I think one I always come back to is be the change you want to see in the world, which is overused, but to me, it really speaks volumes, especially in leading yourself. If you want to have a great experience at work, that power is in your hands. 
Yeah, mine is similarly inspiring. One of the things that Margaret Mead said years ago, which is pretty famous, I I might butcher it a little bit, but she said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Well, thank you. And how about a favorite book? You mean aside from ours? (laughs) I think leading with noble purpose is the best book on the shelves these days. In all seriousness, I just read a book called Friend and Foe. It was really good. And it's about how to navigate relationships and how to generate trust and part ways peacefully with those who do not serve you. It was really, really interesting book. Yeah, I would say I've read a lot. And I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. One book that had a forever impact on me was The Road Less Traveled. And I read it when I was in my early 20s and found it very illuminating. Read it again in my 30s and again in my 40s. And I got different things out of it each time. But it really does relate to this topic of leading yourself because you really have to unpack yourself and your reaction to things and how you're you're managing it. I once saw a poster that was hilarious. It said the common denominator in all your failed relationships is you. Mm -hmm. And what I always think of is if I find myself saying, why doesn't anybody get it? Or why is it so hard to find somebody who blah? When I start generalizing people, that tells me it's not them. It's me. Mm -hmm. If it's happening over and over again, it's me. And so that book really put that into my consciousness in a big way. Excellent. Thank you. And now could you share, is there a particular nugget or piece that you convey in your trainings, your workshops, your writings that seems to particularly resonate with folks? It gets them, you know, not in their heads and taking notes or retweeting. You know, the, the theme in all of our work is that work has a higher purpose. And it doesn't mean that you're in the Peace Corps or, you know, you're saving the starving animals. Work has a purpose because every business has a purpose. And the more we bring that to the fore at work, the more emotionally engaged, the more innovative, the more creative everyone will be, whether that's, you know, selling someone a software that really improves their business or whether that's building homes. Each business has its own unique purpose and each individual contributes to that purpose in their own unique way. Yeah, I would say... Along the similar lines, one of the things I often tell people is you can't spreadsheet your way to passion because Mm -hmm. we have so many leaders who have been so trained to do an ROI on everything. But at the end of the day, work is only as meaningful as human beings make it. And to think that work is an unemotional endeavor is sheer folly. We want to engage customers. We want to engage employees. And that starts with emotion. And so you've got to find something we call your noble purpose, something that you care passionately about at your work. And you don't have to change the world, but you do need to know that you're making a difference in your part of it. And if you think that you can create a business merely on a transaction or you can go to work as a transaction and just go to work for the money, you wait. Over time, your body is going to rebel against that. And ultimately, the market will rebel. So unless you find something that you care about, you're not going to be really living your life the way you were meant to live it. Oh, that's powerful. Thank you. 
And now could you share if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? You can just Google Noble Purpose and we'll pop up. McLeod Moore is our website. We've got a lot of blog posts, got some videos on there. I do a lot of keynotes. Elizabeth has started keynoting with me. We're speaking at the LinkedIn Talent Connects in Nashville next month. Hopefully some people will be there. (laughs) Yeah, very cool. We have a lot of courses on LinkedIn Learning as well. And even if you don't have a membership, they do have an opportunity for a free trial. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Hmm. A final call to action. I had to start. Yeah, start. Just start. Yeah. <laughs> Just lead yourself. Do one thing to lead yourself. You know, I um, I lost one parent young and one parent more just recently. And one of the things that really was clear on me is do not waste your life just phoning it in. Do not do that. Elizabeth's right. Just start. Do one thing to step in and start steering the reins of your own life. You're going to spend the majority of your life at work. It ought to mean something. Oh, there are so many powerful messages here. It's funny. I kind of want to just stop and sit with each of them, but you know, (laughs) I don't want people to say, Hey Pete, you still there? So thank you for all of this wisdom. It's so good. I'm going to be reflecting on it and hopefully uh, the listeners as well. I think this is very much worth multiple passes to digest and chew on some of this heavy stuff that hits the heart and really makes all the impact. So Yo, Elizabeth and Lisa, thank you so much for making this time and sharing what you've got. I wish you tons of luck with your courses and your books and your keynotes and your media appearances and all that you're up to. Thank you for having us. This was a great conversation. We really enjoyed it. I really liked the perspective that they offered associated with understanding the landscape strategically of the whole business because it's quite common to think, well, that's not my job and I already have too much on my plate and a whole lot to do and many emails to get to and a backlog of items. And so I cannot concern myself with those crazy big picture strategic matters right now. That's kind of overwhelming. And so I think I've been tempted to be myopic and or myopic, however you pronounce that, and zero in on particular things that are right in front of me to the exclusion of bigger picture things. And that's really to the detriment when folks start asking some basic fundamental questions and you don't have them, then you're not looking too sharp and you're missing the context that can really surface whether something's worth doing in the first place and how it might be done differently to make you look like more of a brilliant rock star and have fewer back and forth pieces of rework as you're exchanging with different collaborators and all that stuff. So but that was a nice reminder to get bigger picture context, which can serve you well in many ways and make you look awesome. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep206. And I hope you'll join us for the next episode. It's Dan McGinn. He is talking about being psyched up, getting in the groove of feeling alert, awake, alive, enthusiastic, raring to go, how that's done, psych up rituals and all that. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.